We have now come to the central event, the crucifixion of Christ. We're going to talk about that today. Our text from three Gospels, Matthew 27, John 19, Luke 23, as we draw the events out that we're talking about. This is Palm Sunday. It's an important day for us. This church had its first service after we reopened on Palm Sunday. That was 33 years ago. I remember something that two little old ladies said to me way back in the beginning. Vera and Annabelle told me they came from a wonderful church in New Jersey, and the pastor of that church had been there for 50 years. And I thought to myself, that's a good example to follow. In the 80s and 90s, the denominational churches were sending out pastors and moving them every three years. Of course, the proof of that error in judgment was that the churches were shrinking down to 20 people or less. You can't get to know people in three years. You can't establish programs in three years. And visitors didn't begin to show up here until after three years. Church needs to show stability and faithfulness to gain members. And that can't be done in three years. So we've been here for 33 years, 10 times 3. So half of my life, I've been standing behind this pulpit. That's the best thing I ever did. But for all the blessings God has sent here to East Shelby, there have been moments of sorrow. Over the years, there have been people who walked away, who abandoned, who chose to leave and deserted their friends and never came back. And it's a great sorrow to me when that happens. It happens to all ministers. And for many reasons, it's part of being a pastor that is a great sadness that you have to bear. The answer to how to handle that <laughs> sadness is that even Jesus was deserted. And even Jesus was abandoned. He knows what it feels like to be deserted by your friends. And we shall see that in our text today. Now we've been looking at the last week of Jesus' life before he was crucified. And last week we saw Jesus on trial, declared by the judge to be innocent, and yet condemned to die on a cross of wood. It had been a week full of intrigue and conspiracy and evil plans. And it was on Tuesday night that those evil plans were suddenly made possible. A deserter came to the temple in the darkness of the night and offered to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas Iscariot was the first to desert Jesus. Although Judas would eat the Last Supper with Jesus and would have Jesus wash his feet that night, in his heart, in his deep, dark heart, he had already deserted Jesus. And so on Thursday night, Judas went to the temple, gathered a group, and led a group of Jewish leaders out to Gethsemane where Jesus was arrested. And I begin reading at Matthew 26, 
in verse number 55. In that same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. So it was that the twelve men who had been closest friends, Jesus' closest friends, <coughs> Judas betrayed Jesus, and the next morning took his own life. Of the eleven others, Peter followed Jesus to Caiaphas' house, and there in the courtyard denied that he ever even knew Jesus three times. After that, he disappeared. Nine of the twelve completely deserted Jesus. We don't know where they went. Only one, John, would finally show up at the cross where Jesus was crucified bringing Mary, his mother, to see her son hanging on a cross. And so it was that his closest companions, his best friends, all deserted him. Pontius Pilate had tried to release Jesus several times, but in the end, pressured by the Jews who threatened to riot, Pilate deserted Jesus' cause and sentenced him to death. He knew that Caesar wanted no riots in Jerusalem, so he bent his own will to meet the Jewish leader's demands and sentenced Jesus to be crucified, figuring in his mind that one dead Jew was better than a riot in Jerusalem on Passover. But Pilate had one last jab at the Jewish leaders that he hated so much. Every man condemned to die by Pilate, would walk through the streets of Jerusalem out to the place where they would be crucified. And as they walked through the streets, someone would carry a sign in front of them which told their crime. So Pilate had a sign made up for Jesus, and they would carry it through the streets and then nail it to his cross. In John chapter number 19, we have that cross sign as he tells what happened there. John chapter number 19 verse number 16. They delivered him therefore unto them to be crucified and they took Jesus and led him away and he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of the skull which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him, two of them on one side and two on the other, Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title, put it on the cross. The writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And this title then read many of the Jews, for the place where he was crucified was nigh to the city. and was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Now Jesus would be crucified on the side of the road, 
on the main highway from the north into Jerusalem. And many people who traveled that road would read the sign and wonder about it. Was Jesus really the king of the Jews? So the Jewish leaders demanded that Pilate change the sign and have it read, he claimed to be king of the Jews. But Pilate, because he hated those Jews, refused to change the sign. That created a crisis for the Jewish leaders. How would people feel if they read that sign? So they went into what we call today a spin mode. That is, how can we spin this so that people think the way we want them to think? It's a very political move to control the minds of the people. My friends, some things never change, do they? When the Jewish leaders couldn't persuade Pilate to change the sign, they immediately went into a damage control activity. It was Friday when Jesus was crucified. The Friday of Passover week was considered a very holy day, special day of Passover. The Jews would avoid anything that would make them unclean. And a crucifixion where there would be human blood and dead bodies was a place to be avoided at all costs. You may recall the Jews refused even to enter into Pilate's hall because to go into the house of a Gentile like Pilate would make them unclean for Passover. So obviously, going to Golgotha, the place where crucifixion took place, was sure to make them unclean. But they felt it was absolutely necessary to go to the place where Jesus was crucified and try to persuade passers-by that this Jesus of Nazareth was a fraud and certainly not the king of the Jews. And so it was the Jewish leaders went out of the city to the place where Jesus was crucified. Their plan was to point out to anybody standing by that Jesus was not a king, that he was not the Messiah, and most of all, that Jesus of Nazareth was not the Son of God. And so it was that when Jesus was crucified, there was another dimension added to his suffering, forsaken by his friends, and completely surrounded by his enemies. Jesus was truly all alone. There's an old song that the choir will sing on Friday. It says, Alone thou goest forth, O Lord, in sacrifice to die. Is this thy sorrow not to us who pass unheeding by stop and look my friends Jesus as he hangs on that cruel cross is the loneliest man in the whole world abandoned forsaken deserted not a friend in sight he suffers in silent loneliness 
And listen to what the Jewish leaders are shouting out as they gather around his cross like a pack of dogs. Matthew 27. I'm reading at verse 41. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if you'll have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Listen to them. Listen to their shouts. He saved others. He can't save himself. And then, if you want us to believe in you, come down from that cross. He said he trusted in God. He said he was a son of God. Look and see for yourself. God doesn't want him. And as those Jewish leaders shout their insults, it makes the common people more bold. Verse 39, they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and builded it in three days, save thyself. Thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. We remember when you said you could rebuild the temple in three days. Ha! You haven't got the power to even come down from your cross. And so as the insults flow freely, even someone you could never imagine will join in. Verse 44, the thieves also that were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. The two men crucified with Jesus even joined in the insults. And then Luke's gospel adds more voices to the jeering crowd I'm looking at Luke 23, verse number 36. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him vinegar, and saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. These soldiers had nailed that sign over his head on the cross, which read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And now they join in with the crowd. They offer Jesus vinegar, a bitter-tasting drink. And mocking Jesus, they point to the sign. If you are the King of Israel, imagine that. King of Israel. We just crucified the King of Israel. Save yourself, king. The crucifiers, Roman soldiers. The crucified, two thieves. The common people passing by. The Jewish leaders creating a poison atmosphere of scorn and contempt for Jesus as he hangs suffering on the cross. Every voice is lifted up against him. Not one voice is heard in his favor. On Sunday, he had ridden that donkey into Jerusalem amidst a huge crowd who had shouted out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Where are they now? 
deserted and abandoned. He suffers alone. Not one voice of sympathy. Not one voice of support. Not one voice of praise. No one says, Hosanna, now. He suffers alone. And then it gets worse. Luke 24, verse number. Luke 23, verse number 44. It was about the sixth hour, that's noon, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Even the sun refuses to shine on Jesus. And to increase his loneliness, he hangs in the darkness all by himself. There's an old song, a Negro spiritual written. It says, my Lord, what a morning. My Lord, what a morning. My Lord, what a morning. When the sun refused to shine. Nature turned its back on Jesus. And then, worst of all, out of that black darkness surrounding the cross comes a cry. It's a bone-chilling cry. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus is carrying the load of sin on his shoulders for the whole world. And God the Father turns his face away, unable to look at human sinfulness as it lies on his son as he hangs on that cross. No one ever felt so alone as Jesus did, suffering in the darkness, even abandoned by God. He was the loneliest man that there ever was. Wait. Stop. Because I hear something. I can't quite believe what I'm hearing. It came first from an angry voice. But then listen to what we hear, verse 39 of Luke 23. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. And he said... Unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou wilt be with me in paradise. One voice, one 
single, solitary voice. One voice that says, Lord, I believe in you. One voice says, I believe you're a king. I believe you're about to come into your kingdom. When all of his disciples had fled away, when every other voice mocked his kingdom, when no other voice embraced his claim, one voice speaks out and asks for a favor. Remember me, Lord. Please, remember me. Oh, what a sweet sound it was in Jesus' ear. And what a courageous voice as it says, Remember me, Lord. What a blessing to the heart of Jesus when finally one voice said, I believe you. The dying thief had seen Jesus praying to forgive his crucifiers. He had watched him suffer in silence. He had seen Jesus refuse the painkillers and stretch his arms out to be nailed to the cross. And when he saw how Jesus behaved, it says he changed his mind. And in courage and in faith, he said to Jesus, Remember me, Lord. And Jesus, thrilled with the request, made much of it. I won't just remember you. I pledge to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Miss all that poison out atmosphere created around that cross, there shines out one thing still, the love of Jesus. What a feeling came over that dying thief when Jesus said, today you're going with me. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. He must have felt vast, unmeasured, boundless and free, flowing as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to my paradise above. The first man ever to see Jesus not as a criminal, But as a Savior, the first believer who saw the cross as his escape route, as his salvation. He only lived a short time after that. But he died believing in Jesus, and that is the best way to die. There he is, hanging next to Jesus. Maybe the greatest believer that ever lived. Not Peter or James or John for all of their privilege. Where are they now? Not Abraham or Isaac or Jacob can be said to believe like the thief on the cross. Mary Magdalene had given up Jesus for dead and went to the tomb in sadness thinking he would never live again. Everyone thought Jesus had died and failed. Everyone except the thief on the cross. The Apostle Paul would later write about Jesus' crucifixion, but only the thief on the cross could really say, I am crucified with Christ. So my friends, our studies have brought us to this moment in history, this event 
the greatest in all of human history. Jesus is crucified for you and for me. And when I think about it, when I feel it down deep in my heart, all I can say is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And then I have to say something else. Jesus, I promise, I swear, I give my solemn word, I will never desert you, I will never forsake you, and I will never abandon you. I will faithfully follow you as long as I live. That, my friends, is what I feel when I read these things. The question to you is, do you? Will you promise to live for Jesus and never desert him and never forsake him? That's the promise he made to you. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's why you and I can never feel what he felt. Because he was forsaken by God. We never will be. So as we approach Good Friday, when we gather in remembrance of Jesus, I trust you'll be there as we focus once more on our dying Savior. May God bless you through this week as you go through it and think about the events that lead up to Jesus' death on the cross. Remember as we sing in the song, He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them His very own. He bore my burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Oh, how marvelous Oh, how wonderful my songs shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Shall we pray, dear Heavenly Father, we bow before you. It's hard to grasp how you felt. And we're sorry, but we do make a promise here today. that we will ever be faithful and ever be true to you. Help us. Help us that we will not be in that poison crowd, but that we will be joining that one voice that says, remember me, Jesus, remember me. Help us to believe with all our heart as we come to this season of the year. Bless us as we do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Just turn your hymn books to number 82, if you would, please. Your hymn books at page number 82. When I survey the wondrous cross, standing as we sing, page number 82. When I survey. Page number 82.
Levi to close a word of prayer. Dear Lord, may we not walk by without care on the scene of you at Calvary, the scene where you are abandoned and have given your all to forgive us. May you touch us deeply in our hearts. May we have your Spirit come in us and teach us how to love. Show us the sacrifice that you have made. Awaken those dead parts within us. Bring to life and to understanding and to light what is the love of Christ. We thank you for (coughs) making that great sacrifice for us. We pray that you would protect us and keep us. Help our hearts and our thoughts to be protected throughout this week. And we may come back having our hearts ready for a great celebration coming this weekend. That you have died, but that you have risen again. We thank you for these things. Protect us and be with us. Bring us back to this place, we ask in your name. Amen.